What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consults RX podcast. Cole and I riding solo today. No AJ. No AJ. He's, he's busy. He's moved on to bigger and better things after that award. I, I, know. It, I got It got sent out in a newsletter. What? Yeah, I know. And there's AJ's picture standing right there, oh, winning winning the award for all like oral and written presentations at this whole thing. And you know, oh boy, like there he is. Whenever you hear the end of it, <laughs> I tell you what, <laughs> nobody tell him that we're proud of him. It was like uh, AJ Alford, uh, PharmD and PhD candidate. But you know, yeah. Oh, right okay. He got two doctoral candidates. <laughs> he had a tie on too. Did he? Oh my gosh, he wore a tie. I think, unless I was looking at it wrong. Yeah, mm, well. Yeah. That's pretty good. We need to frame that it's picture. Big for him. I saw AJ present one time in a, a hoodie that was still pulled up over his head on a, on a virtual fan. I was like, oh no. <laughs> he did really well though. Everybody was happy about it. But it was when he first popped up on camera, I had a heart attack. <laughs> this is why he can't take episodes off because we just make fun of him. Yeah, time. no, that's true. All right. So we haven't done one of these uh, type of episodes since I think that antler trial came out. Oh, was it? Yeah. So we're going to just cover a clinical study today. Yes. And uh, some of you guys have probably heard us mention this. I think we did a while back. We've referenced it in at least three episodes that it was ongoing so that I can remember. The study uh, comparing um, chlorothaladone and HCTZ has uh, officially been at least reported on the findings. I don't think it's officially published. Not that um, I can tell. But the, the poster presentation was, was presented um, on the 5th of November. Um, and so the, the study is the DCP, the Diuretic Comparison Project, um, which was done through the VA system. And basically, patients came in, uh, they were on HCTZ, and uh, then they were either continued on HTC or switched over to clothalidone and um, they were looking for basically cardiovascular outcomes because the big issue or the big push for clothalidone at least historically has been there's outcome data with clothalidone there's no outcome data with HTC meta-analyses things like that seem to show that clothalidone is better so why are we always using HTC instead of clothalidone it's like a 10 to 1 which I would argue anecdotally is probably not even that's a very uh very nice um, yeah. hat tip to close out because like, they've seen way, way right. more people. And you say historically, really that was a relatively recent change with the yeah, within the last decade, so within the last five years, mm-hmm. right? And you say 10 to 1, so with the VA specifically, 95% of VA patients had were on HCTZ if they were on a, a thiazide diuretic, 2.5% chlorothaladone yeah. before this study. The the twelve point five you said chlorothaladone two point five percent chlorothaladone ninety five percent oh chlorothiazide percent gotcha percent gotcha gotcha which like, the only other milligrams I was like I'm not familiar with no, that no, no. so the amount so you gotcha, said ten to gotcha. one so ninety five yeah, yeah, with yeah. hydrochlorothiazide two point five percent with chlorothaladone which I guess means the other two point five percent must have been in dapamine maybe right yeah which is a little bit of foreshadowing for you guys because mm. we're also going to introduce a little segment to the show called. How would Cole and I do this clinical study better? <laughs> How would we completely change it to make it much more relevant? So, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to that towards the second half. Um, we just invented this show right now. We started talking about uh, this study just off off uh, Aaron Cole's like, hey, we should probably hit record. <laughs> so here we are. Save it for the podcast. So, uh, yeah, um, I guess, like I said, the, this study was something we've all been kind of looking forward to. Um, the, the primary outcome that they were sort of looking for was ad- um, adverse cardiovascular events, and it was a um, composite outcome, um, and uh, Cole, spoil it for him. What happened? Yeah, so, well, before that, I'll say that you've, you've probably heard us talk negatively about HCTZ for a really long time. <laughs> and so right when I saw that they were doing this study, I was thinking to myself, 
I bet you it's going to be non-inferior just because we've been talking about it for a long mm-hmm. time. I'm just so sure it's going to be non-inferior. Sure enough, it was non-inferior as far as their primary outcome of the composite of cardiovascular events. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the just who was in the study and some of the a little bit more about the setup. So it was open label. The patients knew what they were taking. I mentioned that 95% of the patients were taking hydrochlorothiazide before this trial started, which means that the majority of the patients in the chlorothaladone arm were switched from hydrochlorothiazide to chlorothaladone of note. So that, that might, may or may not be important. It was a large study. There was 13,500 patients. Um, they were randomized in a one-to-one ratio of the, to the normal treatment doses of HCTZ or chlorothaladone. Uh, the duration was five years. I think at the time of this poster, was it like 2.5 or something like that? Or was it the full five? You know? For what's that again? The duration that they've seen since they started. The, the, the follow-up is five years, but I don't know if they've gotten to five years yet. Uh, median follow-up is 2.4. 2.4. So years. 2.4, I guess, so far. Um, and all the patients are old, or should I say elderly? They're all above 65. They're above 65. Yeah. So they're all over 65. Um, the mean age was 72. And as you can imagine, with a VA population, majority male, majority Caucasian. So it was, uh, there were only 3% of females, um, 15% African Americans, and, and a, a paucity of, of Asian Americans, too. Um, so take, do with that what you will, because, I mean, it's almost all men that, that we're seeing, that we're looking at this in. So it really just doesn't give us a good uh, gauge of what a female population or an African American population might look like. Um, that being said, it was non-inferior. Mm-hmm. So I would say a win for HCTZ at least compared to as, as far as how we've been talking about it for the longest yeah. time. Right. And so there, you'll see some articles out there, one in particular for Medscape, um, that takes a pretty hard stance that this is like a vindication for all the providers who've been using HCTZ over the years. Cause it is majority HCTZ that is used, um, even though it hasn't had the data that, um, that we would have liked to see. And I don't know that I think it's necessarily a vindication for all of them. I mean, it's definitely makes me feel a little bit better about all the patients who are on HCTZ, but you know, there's yeah. still some issues with this study. And then of course we're going to get into endapamide in a minute. And I think the study or the review commentary article that Cole's talking about is uh, the one from Medscape, right? Yes. Um, it's, it's literally called a win for practicing doctors and science. I know. It's a bit of a biased I mean, seeming I article. Like, I, say, I don't know about science necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> but um but uh yeah, so Medscape um Dr. Mandrola was the author of it. But and he does make some good points though, as far as the you know, that the study how it was set up and you know how the randomization was done through their electronic health record system and all that. Um so you know, he does explain the whole you know, process that you know went into it on top of another Medscape article that really digs into the nitty gritty stuff of the in a good summary of the the study, it's or the, mm-hmm. at least the results published, but um, you know the, the you know I, I agree with Cole. It's it's one of those things. That I wouldn't say that it necessarily vindicates um, HCTZ completely because there's still no like placebo controlled randomized controlled trials that have used HCTZ that have prevented or that has at least demonstrated cardiovascular outcomes. Right. Um, versus and this didn't either technically. Right. And, uh, exactly. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where we do have that data with chlorothaladone from the ship trial, the all had trials, mothers. And, you know, so I, I would say if you're just taking this one, you know, it, it's, you can't just definitively say, okay, well, there's still the same, still one, one study and the way it was set up and stuff is not quite as 
Right. You know, there's still a potential for uh, for some, you know, bias being on the, most of the patients were on HCTZ you know, ahead of time. Right. Which there and, and that that same argument in some ways can be made for all of the thiazide diuretics because we're going to point out some individual data that we have with with each of them, but you could point at any of those and say like, well, my patient might not fit into that, mm-hmm. you know, specific category, which is true. So yeah. that that's that is a, a that's completely valid. Um, so it was not inferior as far as the, um, primary mace, the primary yeah. major adverse cardiovascular events in the subgroup analysis. There's a couple of interesting things that I don't know if you can really do much with this, but, um, with the two groups, um, roughly 10% of participants had a prior stroke or MI. Uh, so it was, that would have been secondary prevention and they had an average reduction in 20 of 27% in MI stroke and heart failure deaths that were observed. And that was statistically significant versus placebo. That was for the clothalidone group versus, not placebo, but statistically significant versus HGTZ. That was clothalidone versus HGTZ. But for the patients without a prior stroke or MI, there was a 12% increased risk in developing cardiovascular disease when taking clothalidone versus HGTZ. So if you looked at that, it would look like primary prevention, HGTZ is better, secondary clothalidone is better. I don't know if you can really draw that from this though. It's just yeah. too well, I, I, muddy. Re- I really like what that, uh, in fact, this is where I was going to give uh, Dr. Mandrella, even though his article does seem a little biased. I really like his comments about the subgroup analysis. So I'm, I'm reading this, but basically um, he says that if you are tempted to make much of the MI stroke history interaction, first read the ISIS two trial and it's subgroup finding based on astrological signs. <laughs> <laughs> So apparently they were trying to say based on astrological sign that that's how you should base it. So he said he's kind of sassy. He is. I like this guy. We need to have him on the podcast. (laughs) If you guys know him, give him give him our number. Um, He says subgroup findings and trials with null primary endpoints should be considered noise, not signal until proven otherwise. I like that. That last part was pretty good. Yeah. It's like a mic drop. Was that was that his last sentence of the article? Uh, no, then he wrote a naysayer might argue that because DCP won't change their practice. I already use HUTZ. That it's no big deal. I didn't fully understand that sentence. I guess he's just saying like this isn't groundbreaking for me because I'm already using HCTZ. Right. Well, which you should all you should also want studies to validate what you're doing too. Right. I would think, but yeah, and I won't I won't change the practice. <laughs> With yeah, I agree. I, although I will say, yeah, I, I would make one argument towards changing your practice, but not with either of these right. drugs. Right. <laughs> so the, the other thing that the study showed, which we all probably would have guessed, um, hypokalemia was yes. uh, higher in the clothalidone group, and that was statistical significance. Um, so 3.1 or less, uh, or less than 3.1 was considered hypokalemia. So the one thing I will say, uh, because we did get a statistical significance with hypokalemia, um curious to see if anybody's looked at this or if they're going to do a secondary analysis where they basically eliminate the patients who had hypokalemia and just look yeah. at the normal kalemia patients to see if then there's a difference between there's a difference. And, and not just hypokalemia but if they're if, just take out all the patients who were on clothalidone that went below 3.5 right yeah yeah, right. because the and where it's coming from is the the Shep trial, which was one of the outcome studies, uh, showed a showed a you know positive benefit you know outcome redu- risk reduction with uh, 
Clothalidone over placebo, but when they looked at a secondary analysis and saw that the when they like, separated them out based on patients who had a you know low potassium, so below three point five or in the normal range, the patients who went below that three point five basically um, lost their you know cardiovascular protection or their, the outcomes went away. So with this, because that's statistically statistically significant on hypokalemia in this study. If we get rid of those patients and just reevaluate the data on the ones who did not have hypokalemia, I wonder if there'd be a different result. Right, and I feel like there would be something different for yeah. sure based on our knowledge of that. And I mean, we and that goes along with what we've always recommended for chlorothaladone in this instance is if you're going to use it over HTTZ, you need to make sure that their potassium is above three point five. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just one of those things that uh, I, I do. I, that's one of the things I have an issue with with chlorothalidone, and I've heard a lot of other you know clinicians say I don't like chlorothalidone because of the hypokalemia, and that's true. I've seen it happen in multiple patients. Hypokalemia is a real issue with chlorothalidone. That's one of the reasons I don't like it as much. Mm-hmm. So that's the the DCP in a, yeah. in a nutshell, a very abbreviated nutshell. Do with it what you will. I'm not so, sure it's. I it, it at least makes me feel a little bit better about HCTZ. Yeah, at least for makes sure. me feel a little bit better. So, in I mean, certain situations. Yeah, until it beats out in depth, my that's still going to be trash in my book. Right. No, but, uh, you know, the the joke, you know, I was saying earlier about Cole and I setting the study up, um, and the reason I, you know, we decided to kind of talk about it here is because on, you know, like on the podcast Instagram page and stuff, we had a few people, when I posted the uh, picture of the this, this study and all that in the stories, um, I had a few people, I, you know, ask, because I put in the comments on there, um, but why not in Dapamide instead of Quothalidone? So I had some few people reach out and ask, you know, well, why end up mine? So I figured, uh, why not? Let's tell them about it. Let's tell them about it in bulk. We're gonna we're gonna CC all of you, <laughs> and uh, and so you, if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, um, you've in, no doubt heard us talk about end up mine. Probably till you're sick of it, but we're gonna review it. Um, so there's, there's a few different things, um, you know, to, to touch on. One, end up mine is. Been around for a really long time, just like the other two have. Um, it also is a thiazide like diuretic that has outcome data, mm-hmm. just like chlorothaladone. So um, it's been studied in really elderly patients, so 80 to patients over 100 years of age yep. in the high vet. Mm-hmm. It's been studied in patients who have previously had an ischemic stroke um, in the PROGRESS trial. Um, it was compared in patients with diabetes that had um, microalbuminuria uh, in the uh, Nestor trial. Um, so there's definitely been some solid outcome data studies that have been conducted with uh, endapamide. So we know that it does, you know, ultimately reduce the risk of cardiovascular um, disease. Right. And when you hear about thiazide plus ACE in post-stroke patients, that's endapamide specifically Mm -hmm. progress trial. So we do have a lot of good stuff with it. Yeah. Um, Plus, you know, when we think about patients with CKD as well, you know, HCTZ, we typically, you know, creatinine clearance drops below 30, below 25. We tend to, you know, not really think of HTTC as being all that effective, um, you know, because it's not helping. The, the diuretic effect is not helping anymore, and you worry about an acute injury at that point from dehydration things. Mm-hmm. So endapamide, however, um, does actually have renal dose adjustments down to 10 mils per minute. Mm-hmm. Um and has even been compared head-to-head uh, in patients, HTTZ um, versus endapamide, in patients with CKD and looking at its effect on EGFR over time. Uh, and one of, there's been a couple of different studies like that, but one of them in particular, the patients uh, 
had the baseline EGFR in the HTTZ group continue to decline, which we kind of would expect. Um, however, in the indapamide group, the EGFR actually went up a little bit from baseline. So you can't really, because of the way the study was set up, you can't really say it's like nephroprotective. Right. Um, but we definitely know that it's not harmful Negative, yeah. on, on the kidneys. So, yeah. you know, from a, a mechanism standpoint, um, you know, in, in certain patient populations, it definitely seems to be better. Um, blood pressure lowering. Yeah. It's definitely a better, uh, any meta-analysis you look at, I mean, there's a lot of them that show, you know, maybe 10 millimeters mercury difference systolic lowering with indapamide versus HCTZ. Mm-hmm. And I will say this, this, this is one where anecdotally, I think, or, you know, from a clinical experience, it is relevant because we started using indapamide like everybody with, it was on HCTZ, we were just switching everybody. And we were able to stop like other blood pressure medications after making that switch, even if we use the equivalent dosing, mm-hmm. like we just got so much better results with indapamide. Um, just from a, you know, blood pressure, you know, control standpoint from appointment to appointment. Right. So, you know, it definitely seems to lower blood pressure a lot better, especially with HTTZ being dosed once a day. Yeah. Typically. Because, and you got to think about the half-life. Right. So, less side effects to be concerned about. We talked about hypokalemia with clothaldone. There's also glucose issues possibly with HTTZ, right? Mm-hmm. Is there gout issues with HTTZ too? Uric acid issues? So, uh, indapamide technically has um, so one of the more in, uh, uric acid reabsorption rates. HTTZ is still there as well. Yeah. Um, so, all of them can reabsorb uric acid. But uh, that tends to be like slightly elevated. Like so the serum uric acid tends to go up slightly and then come right back down again pretty quickly yeah because a lot of it you're just sort of like the diuretic effect of the thigh of a thiazid or so is, is only really lasting about a couple of weeks and then mm-hmm. you're basically kicking in the RAS system and working on the periphery and some other things as well um which we can talk about some of the mechanistic changes you know a little bit further in a second but um the this what you were going about the side effects um hypokalemia like i think that's the big one with that i always think about with indapamide it's got the least amount of potassium wasting um there was a uh let me pull this up there was a i thought i had there was a study that looked at potassium um wasting in uh patients um, who were either on htz or indapamide i think let me make sure this is the right study i pulled up um I believe the amlodipine was also included in that study, but it didn't have like a actual name associated with it. It's an old one, 2001, I believe. But uh, yeah, so basically they were showing this and other studies have showed that HTTZ will have a statistically significant increase in hypokalemia cases versus indapamide. Mm. Um, and so I think of it as being a much less concern from a potassium wasting standpoint. How's it do with sodium? About um, the same. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, they, you never, with, with the thiazides, I feel like it's not, the, the sodium hyponatremia isn't nearly as big of a concern. concern. potassium. Yeah. Um, you mentioned glucose. Yeah. So one of the things I always think about, and I th- I've mentioned this before, so sorry if this is a repeat, but um, one of the things I always think about with glucose reabsorption, with HCTZ, technically speaking, it's not what we think of as clinically relevant a lot of times. Um, although I will say there was a, a study um, back in, when was this? 
2006. Um, it's called the Comparative Assessment of Hypotensive Metabolic and Endothelial Effects of Endapamide um, and Hydrochlorothiazide in Patients with Essential Hypertension. So much longer title than <laughs> some cool name. Um, but uh, b- basically showed that um, from a m- metabolic standpoint, you have a lot more risk of developing glucose intolerance or higher glucose levels, higher fasting glucose levels, um, higher lipid levels even, um, with something like HETZ versus endapamide. And even though we don't typically think of that as being clinically relevant, SGLT2 inhibitors are becoming a much bigger and more widely used class. And so if you think about those mechanistically, if an SGLT2 inhibitor is blocking glucose reabsorption at the you know proximal convoluted tubule, pushing all that glucose through the nephron, it hits the distal convoluted tubule where the thiazide, like HTTZ, is working. Um, and now you have a lot more glucose available for reabsorption than you would if that SGLT2 inhibitor was not there, lowering right. the glucose reabsorption threshold. And so at that point, does it then become a little bit more clinically relevant? Because we don't, I haven't seen anything that actually shows or has looked into that. Um, I asked a couple of the medical science liaisons and I couldn't get a clear answer if that's ever been looked at on their end. Right. Um, so it is more theory, but because so HTTC is being so widely used and an SGLT2 inhibitor is still something I think about. Am I offsetting the effects of the SGL, SGLT2 inhibitor by using HTTC? And mind having a, basically a neutral effect on glucose reabsorption, mm-hmm. we kind of overstep and get past that little caveat. Right. So I think that's something to kind of um, keep in mind too. If that, I'm hoping eventually some data comes out about that. I'll have my answer eventually but um yeah so from an electrolyte standpoint endapamide's so much better um bunch better potassium uh uric acid if they have a history of gout you know check to see if they are on allopurinol if they are i wouldn't be worried at all about the uric acid piece of it um if they haven't had a flare-up in a while you know just maybe warn them to keep an eye on it maybe have something on standby if you're if you're worried about it um but it's most likely not going to be a huge issue um, especially if they're on a xanthine oxidase inhibitor or something like that. Right. Um, yeah. So the, the electrolytes definitely better. Um, I mentioned half-life earlier and what I, what I meant by that, just to elaborate a little bit further, if you look at the actual half-life of HTZ, it's like around 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So just like with like lisinopril and losartan and some of these meds we dose twice a day, um, to get better blood pressure lowering, technically speaking, HTZ would need to be dosed twice a day, really, if you want to optimize the half-life and the dosing correctly. Um, you know, that being said, HD, or, uh, clothalidone and endapamide have much longer half-lives. Clothalidone is the, the longest, and um, they're true, like, once-a-day medications. So I think that also um, may play a role in some of those meta-analyses and things that have showed it's got numerically better blood pressure-lowering ability, which, I, you know we've talked about before, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but, um, you know, if we are just trying to get a patient to a goal blood pressure that uh, obviously can help without adding on other medications. Right. Yeah. Cause if you can, we have less side effects, better blood pressure lowering. And if we can prevent the addition of a, another medicine that mm-hmm. it, unless we're trying to specifically, specifically get outcomes from it, we would definitely want to do that. Yeah. So, you know, that's just some of the things to kind of consider. Um, Mechanistically, there's also um, a lot of differences between them. So, for example, um, when we think about like calcium channel uh, antagonism, like calcium channel blocking properties, absolutely none with HTTZ and quartalidone. And dapamide actually does have calcium channel blocking properties. So um, it also has um, a negative effect. There's no effect whatsoever on um, 
calcium dependent or potassium dependent calcium channels as well. Um, and like in the actual nephron and, um, it's got some other, uh, some oxidative, um, stress reduction qualities and some other things that can basically affect the periphery, um, and, and decrease some of the, the other peripheral vascular targets that we go after with blood pressure medications, much more so than the other two would. Um, so if you, if you want to like do like an in-depth, like, kind of a review of this, check out the article um, called Redefining Diuretics Use in Hypertension, Why Selected Thiazide-Like Diuretic by Michael Bernier, George Backris, and Brian Williams. Um, it's really, really good review. They go through some of the actual you know, pharmacology of the drugs. They go through a ton of the studies. It's mm-hmm. a really, really good literature review. They go through patients with diabetes versus elderly versus, you know, all kinds of stuff. And they look at all three. Of course, the thiazide likes are endapamide and clothalidone. Yeah, versus they look at the, all three. The thiazide, which is HETZ, but they, they looked at all three, and they, they give the pros and cons of clothalidone versus endapamide, too, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and and also they give the actual, I mean, you can go through their references and find all the studies we ever talk about. Right. So uh, if you're if you're interested in that, definitely check that out. Um, uh, again, it's uh, redefining diuretics use in hypertension. Why select a thiazide like diuretic? Google it; it'll come right up. So, what would be other than gout possibly any reason to use, let's say, HCTZ over endapamide? Any possible reason? Uh, my thing would be if a patient's just unwilling to take anything but a combo. Yeah, that's what I was. That's thinking. where I because endapamide to... that I'm aware of is not in any combos, in HCTZs and combos with. Everything. Mm-hmm. I wonder. I bet you primarily aces. Why is nobody compounding, make making the world's greatest, like yeah, compounded blood pressure? Well, because the prescribers aren't pres- probably aren't prescribing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If they, if they felt like there was a market for it, like the prescribers were like, man, I really would prescribe dapamide if it came in combos. Yeah. Then maybe they would. Maybe. But also, who would pay? Like you'd have to, you know, like yeah. the whole. Like if they were like, okay, I'll compound it, but it's ten bucks a pill. They're like, wow, I'm still gonna go with the cheap HCTZ combo, you know? Yeah, we'll come up with this scheme later off the we'll air. F- we'll figure it. We'll out. figure it out for you guys. <laughs> we'll, we'll It'll be our next one. venture. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so our compounding pharmacists are like these idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> Two guys who've never done anything compounding. Listen, I did a class once. <laughs> As did I. No, I I did another. I role. shadowed a compounding pharmacy did for you? like a day. You did a rotation with one, didn't you? No? I did a rotation with a um, independent that had retail, specialty, um, long-term care, compounding, and a medical supply store that had like the whole shebang. And so I spent some time with compounding then, but that was it. Yeah. Well, it's more, that's probably more than me. I did, I did like a three-day like certification, not, it was like an internal certification thing to Walgreens, so it meant nothing. But um, I didn't went to the class and made a bunch of stuff that wasn't all that great. I remember studying something related to compounding and having to take an exam about something. Maybe it was just a class, I don't know, but for school. But I thought it was post-grad. I did something with compounding, but I can't remember. Too busy. <laughs> too many things. Too many things you've been involved with, Cole. <laughs> I guess. You need to slow down. <laughs> Uh, anything else with uh, with this stuff? I know no, it's, I, I a lot think, of it's review, obviously. I think but. this is good because this is, um, especially once it's actually published, I think it'll be more out there. But this this trial is a big deal, and people are going to make a, a big deal of it. And I think there's something to be taken from it. Um, you know, But just take it for what it's worth. And since we have endapamide, if it was truly between ACTZ and clothalidone, I think this would raise a lot more questions. Yeah. But since we have endapamide... Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't know. It feels like it could have been worth more if they had looked in a depth of mind. Yeah. I, I mean, to be totally honest, if I only had those two to choose from, I don't know that I would pick 
well, I don't either because of the hypokalemia. Right. Literally. I, I mean, and, and with this, yeah. With if it was just these two, I think that this yeah. would justify for a lot of patients. Would justify for a lot of patients to be on HCTZ. But yeah. since we have indapamide, I'm jury's still out. At least yeah. in my book. So do, do you think it puts chlorothaladin at the bottom now? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I yeah. mean, probably for me. I mean, to me, it's always been. Now I, I now HCTZ I don't even know if I have a preference. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a. I I would say if I was. Again, There's always been HCTZ and adapamide for you. I feel like I was on a clothalidone train for a little bit when that guideline came out. I was like, I think in 17, 18, and then yeah. I started reading more into adapamide because yeah. I definitely switched. Um, I, I was more on clothalidone just because it was the one with outcome data and stuff initially. Yeah. And, but you don't really hear people talk about adapamide. Cost right. is like not an issue either. It's like, uh, last time I checked in, it was a $4 list at Walmart. Yeah. So it's like, it's not, I don't know. I don't get why. And most people have, I've, I've talked to physicians that have never even heard of it. Now, people do use it because, I mean, we dispense it, so I'm interested to know who is prescribing it. I wonder if it's the cardiologist. Maybe. You know? And it, but it just does they don't get on it until they get to the cardiologist. I know uh, I, my old clinic at Federer, we, a ton of people are on it now because yeah. I was pushing hard for endapamide. And so um, when, I remember one of the new physicians that had started there um, towards when I was leaving, it was like, I've never had, had like heard of endapamide. I was asking a couple questions about it, and it was like, yeah, I've just noticed that every one of these patients is on it. I was like, yeah. Very yeah. uh, that meticulously was yes. moving my chest pieces. But uh, so, yeah, that's our two cents on that. Um, I'm definitely curious to see what you guys think. Uh, if any if any of you all have any thoughts or anything, let us know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think Indapamide needs to be a head-to-head study eventually. Now that you're going to have uh, kind of a new di- patient population, you're going to be able to make some moves there with Indapamide. We'll see. Yeah. Curious to see what they say. Yeah. But um, all right, guys, we'll, uh, we'll we'll close it off with that then, I guess. Um, if you have any questions, definitely send us an email. Um, make sure, if you have not done so already, check out our sponsor, Pearls, P-Y-R-L-S dot com slash Core Consult Rx. It's a fantastic drug info app um, that has a desktop application as well now for those of you who don't necessarily spend all your time on your smartphone. Um, and so uh, definitely a very cool info um, or drug info app. They have lots of algorithms and, you know, pharmacotherapy tidbits and clinical pearls, hence the name. Uh, but they've been uh, a big help to call on myself. So make sure you check them out. And uh, if you do uh, pearls.com slash core consult RX, you can sign up for a free account um, and you'll get access to some free PDF files of uh, pharmacotherapy regimens and guidelines and whatnot. And then if you like it, uh, check out their pro version as well. And uh, also for those of you who like the lecture style uh, topics where we're not just getting off topic and giving our opinion on random stuff um check out patreon.com slash core consult rx um pharmacotherapy uh lectures pharmacology lectures that i do for the pa school uh, a lot of the same content goes on there and um so uh check those out they have powerpoint slides you can download it's probably the cheapest <laughs> review program on the, <laughs> the planet um i think this week uh, i posted on crohn's disease or i'm about to post on crohn's disease tonight and there was one on hypothyroidism last uh last week so check it out there are lots of random topics um so give that a shot. And uh, if you have any questions, emails in the show notes, uh, cell number you can text us at is in the show notes or on any of the social media platforms. We'll see you guys in the next one. Have a good night.